or some electronic device will be looking at the Scriptures with us. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Been in Luke for right at a year now. Um, coming up on the conclusion, just a couple chapters left as we work our way through. Um, last week we had two kind of short stories. The story of Jesus coming in to Jericho and, and healing a blind beggar who hears the commotion in the crowd and, and, and cries out asking, like, what's going on? Who is it? And then has asked for mercy from Jesus. And then second is Jesus comes into Jericho and then he meets Zacchaeus, um, a tax collector, a wealthy man. Um, and in their interaction, we see salvation come in Zacchaeus' life. And he then immediately starts to make right the things that he had made wrong when he had defrauded folks. And we see generosity come to bear in his life as he is encountering Jesus. And, and listen, they're, they're, they're short, but they're beautiful and powerful stories. And if we were picking and choosing passages that we were going to preach, we would grab hold of those, and then we would skip this morning's and move into Palm Sunday service next week, right? Because um, this morning's passage is just a little uncomfortable, um, even in just the language that's used, because it comes across so hard and, and harsh. And so... Listen, this is one of the reasons that we preach chapter by chapter, book by book, right? That we don't, that we are forced to interact with all of Scripture, believing that it's all inspired, that all of it is God-breathed, that all of it is for our benefit and our edification. And so, let's uh, jump in to verse 11 of Luke 19 this morning. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. And calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom... He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in very little, you will have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, Are you And you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina which I've kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at the coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten. And they said to him, Lord, he already has ten minas. I will tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one whom has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is not the story of Zacchaeus, right? Um, not a healing of a blind beggar alongside the road. 
This is, is, is a, really, it's Jesus's, it's his last parable before he enters Jerusalem, knowing that he is headed to the cross. We have this, this harsh, kind of uncomfortable passage. And he ties it to us in verse 11 to the stories we heard last week, which is why we've referenced them. That it says, listen, as they heard these things, right, as they're hearing about Zacchaeus, as they're hearing about the blind beggars, they're seeing someone healed and seeing the joy of salvation and the response that Zacchaeus has, that there's a heightened expectation. They're less than 20 miles from Jerusalem. And the expectation was that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the kingdom that we're seeing these signs of healings and hope and of life and of salvation, all of these things, and we're getting close to Jerusalem. It's happening. It's happening. The kingdom is going to come to bear. And there was this anticipation and this joy that Rome's going to be thrown out, that, that, right, that there's going to be signs and wonders even more so, and the kingdom will be here in fullness. And Jesus, all throughout Luke, right, has been telling them, it's not going to look like you think it is. It's, it's going to happen, but there's a delay, right, that the kingdom has come to bear, but the fullness of the kingdom will come later. There's a, it's a two-part coming. But they believe that it's happening here and now, and they're so close they can almost taste it. And so once again, he's going to tell them a story, right, to try to help take their attention and go, you're not hearing me. You're not seeing this correctly. It's not going to go the way you anticipate. It's why he told them in chapter 18, listen, there's going to be suffering and a, a, like a trial and crucifixion. Like there are things that are going to happen. There's going to be rejection that occurs. We have to be careful, though, when we look at a parable, that all the parables of Scripture are not meant to be taken. Like find, find something in the parable and find a direct correlation, Right? Sometimes parables are teaching more of a general purpose and idea, and you're not connecting every comment, every character, every word to something in real life. And this is one of those, right? That if we were to take the character of Jesus from this parable, we would have some explaining to do, right? But there's an overarching story that is taking place. So let's, let's walk through this parable for, for a moment. So he's telling the story, and he says, listen, there was a nobleman who was going to be given another piece of land, has, has another kingdom. But in order to get it, he has to go and basically be assigned that that is his, from the one who has authority over the kingdom currently. And so as he's going to travel, he sets it up, and he grabs ten of his servants, and he gives them a mina apiece. And a mina was a hundred days um, worth of, of, of salary, right? So this is like three and a half months worth of money in one moment given to these men. So it's, it's a significant amount of money, but it's not, it's not a ton either, right? It's 100 days worth of salary in one fell swoop. And so he gives the 10, right, with, with the reminder in verse 13, engage in business until I come, right? Like use this to make more. And there, we're then told that there's a group in his, in his country who hated him. Listen, we don't know if they hated him because he was worth hating or if they just were rebellious and enemies. But they send a delegation ahead knowing to the, where he was going to get the authority to rule the kingdom. And they're sending a delegation ahead to say, we don't want this guy to rule. We don't think he should have this. Right? And, and so he comes back having received the authority to rule, 
and he begins to call the servants before him, checking to see what they've done with the money. Now, listen, it feels like kind of a harsh and strange passage, but Jesus is actually tying this story. He's telling it in Jericho for a reason. Because roughly 30 years previous, when Herod the Great died, and Herod the Great is the one who wanted to kill all the babies two years um, of age and under, looking to wipe out the coming king, Jesus. When he died, he divided his little mini-kingdom that was still kind of, it was a kingdom within a kingdom under Rome, right? He divides it amongst his sons. And this area was given um, to one of his sons, um, Archelaus, Herod Archelaus. And Herod Archelaus, um, early in his time, killed 3,000 Jews in the midst of a rebellion. And when he is now going to be made the king over this area, the Jews sent a delegation of 50 folks to Caesar Augustus. And we don't want this man. Pick somebody else. This man is brutal. He's already put down 3,000 of us. Pick someone else, right? We don't want him as king. So why, right, like they, they've seen this, but Caesar Augustus said, no, he is. And he, he gave him the authority to rule. And they had a palace in Jericho. And so Jesus is telling a parable in a city of folks who this has been their lived experience. That whether there's anyone in the crowd that remembers this, maybe there's an older person that remembers this, or they at least had a parent or a grandparent that was like, no, this, this has happened. Like we've seen and we've gone to the authority and asked for the, the ruler not to lead over us. And so can you imagine being the delegation right, that goes and says, hey, Caesar Augustus, we don't want him. And then he comes back and he's the ruler. Right? Probably not going to go well. And he was, he was ruthless. And so he is tying his story here to a very personal, very real history that has taken place in their city. And what's really going on is he's looking to kind of shock them to hear because he's like, you're not understanding how the kingdom is going to come to bear. And he brings this very raw, very real story to, to, to get their attention to say, well, wait, wait a second, what, what exactly are you talking about? And so the parable is this. He is going to talk about that Jesus has come and the kingdom has come to bear, has come in part, but the, in fullness it won't happen until his return. And that there's going to be an interim period between the, the consummation of the kingdom coming, right, and the final fullness of the kingdom. Right? So it's a king who goes off to gain a land. He's gone for a while, and when he returns, there will be reward for the faithful and judgment for those who have not been. Church, so this is the time period that we're living in. That Jesus has come, and because of the cross, because of his resurrection, the kingdom has come to bear. And there's an interim period right now where the king is gone. But he will return. And when he returns, there will either be reward or there will be judgment based on how we have depended on, trusted, and followed the king in this interim period. And so this whole parable is meant to be one of two things, a warning and an encouragement. So the first, let's look at the warning. The warning to those this morning to those throughout the last 2,000 years 
who would look at Jesus and say, we don't want you as king. Right? It's a warning. And so there's three groups laid out here. There's the faithful ones, right? The, the one who had one mind and he turned it into ten, and there's the one who had one and he turned it into five, like faithful stewards, faithful servants. There are those who are in open rebellion, right? We see that where it says that there were those who hated him and sent a delegation opposed to him. There are folks this morning and have been for the last 2,000 years and will continue to be until Jesus returns of folks who just say, I'm, I'm glad to let you know I want nothing to do with him. He is not the king of my life. He is not the Lord of my life. I will rebel openly. But there's also the third servant that's mentioned. We see this in verse uh, uh, 20. And another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I've kept laid away in a handkerchief. This is the one who wants to associate with the king, but doesn't actually trust the king. He's near to the king, but he's not obeying the king. And the king, what did the king say? Here's your mina. Do business, right? Use it until I return, and then we'll check and see how you've done. And this one, it said, hey, I, I took the mina from you, and then I held it, and I hoarded it, and I kept it. Like, I'm close, I, I'm associated with you, but I don't trust you. Look at verse 21. Why? Why did he t wrap it up in a handkerchief? For I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. Right? And so he, he basically makes an accusation. So here's the thing. One of two things has to be true. That the king in this passage is a severe man who would have done this, who is taking things that aren't his. And so if he was a severe man and you knew him, you would want to make that money work for you. You would want to have something to offer so that you're not punished when he returns because you know his character. But it, we don't have any reason to believe that that was his character. And very likely what's taking place here is he's simply making an accusation against him. It's not true. Because if you look at verse 22, the king doesn't say whether he's right or he's wrong. He just says, okay, then I will condemn you with your own words. Like, these are what you just said, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then would you not at least gain interest? At a minimum, why would you not do that? So what does it reveal about this third servant? That he doesn't know the king. Because either, right, he's wrong about his interpretation, or he's not obedient. But in either way, he is in a no-win situation because he handled himself poorly. Listen, this, um, this is a reminder to us. Right? You'll hear folks sometimes say, if God's like that, I want nothing to do with it. It's a common, common phrase. If, if God has that attribute, if God has that characteristic, if God does that, I want nothing to do with Him. And sometimes things that are said, they are. That, that's not the character of God, and that is not the God we worship. But sometimes it is true biblical attributes of God that we're uncomfortable with. And so imagine now in this moment that you're saying, God, this revealed characteristic attribute of you found in Scripture, I don't like it. And I don't, I don't want you if that's what you're like. We have one of two options. 
if he is who he says he is, and we say, we don't like that, what are you going to do about it? Like, if he is who he claims to be, and you don't like an aspect of his characteristics, of his attributes, of his personality, what exactly was it you're going to do about it? Nothing. Because he's the sovereign God of the universe, the creator, the one who's allowing us to breathe in this moment. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to change it. You're not going to fight him. Right? And so there's some insolence and some ignorance in saying, I don't like that, so I'm not going to follow you. Or you have misunderstood the character of God. But in this moment now, we have the choice of, well, then I want to pursue and know the king and figure out what he's really like. But what does the third servant do? Nothing. He simply makes an accusation against him and then does nothing about it. It really it takes us back to the Garden of Eden, right? Where we have the, the lies that are taking place where Adam and Eve have been told, listen, don't eat of this one tree. The rest is yours, right? And God's walking in their midst and He's fellowshipping with them. And the, the serpent comes to Eve. Says, now, what was it that God said? She's like, well, if we even touch it, we would die. Like she's already kind of changing it. And the serpent just lies and says, you won't, you won't die. Right? That, we, that she was looking at the character of God and then saying, I don't know if I like that, so I'm going to take this. There's something I can get outside of God. And what we learn in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 is that that doesn't work. That there's discipline, there's wrath, there's punishment for rebelling against God. And what we see here in Luke 19 is that there is punishment, there is rebuke from disobeying the king. And so he basically squirrels away and holds it and then makes an accusation and lives no different. There's a warning to us this morning. right? That we are all the enemies or have been at one point the enemies of God. And we need peace with the king. Because the king has an expectation and he has a standard and we need to meet it. The bad news is, is we can't. The good news is, is He has sent Jesus to meet the standard for us, to bring us into the family, for us to follow and to trust and to make us right with the King. And so we either take the rescue that's been offered, or we stand still as enemies with judgment still coming. We're going to move on for a moment. The second aspect of this is not just that it's a warning, but that it's a call to faithfulness. Listen, we are living in this interim period from the, the king, kingdom has come to bear and it's not yet in fullness. And it's why there is tension in our lives. Because we've seen that the kingdom and that Jesus has come and so there's hope and there's joy and there's peace and there's, there's healing and there's a future and there's struggle and difficult circumstances and disagreements and broken relationships and tragedy and suffering in the world around us. That both of those things are true because we're living in between the fact that Jesus has come and His second coming where all tears will be wiped away, all suffering will be wiped away, all difficulty will be wiped away. We're in the midst of those. And so what we have here in this interim period that we are living in is an opportunity for faithfulness to show that we trust and depend upon the King and we will be faithful to Him until He returns for His bride, the church. 
And so our call in this moment is to image the character of God. Right? It's to see right, His pursuit of those who are far from Him. His long-suffering, His gentleness, His peace, His truth, His hospitality. All of these characteristics that we can spend time finding in Scripture, that we would then to be a reflection of those. Because Jesus has rescued us. That we would image it in every life, circumstance, and every situation that we have. That we would depend upon Him when our circumstances are rough and difficult. We would depend upon Him when our circumstances are really good. That we would trust Him. Listen, He knows that we're in this strange interim period where it would be easy to kind of turn our eyes away from Jesus and to make much of our lives and to put down deep roots. And He's saying, no, no, no. He's coming. The King is coming. Be found faithful. Be found faithful. Depend upon Him. Trust Him. Image Him. Live with intentionality and mission to make the King known in every arena of your life. Right? It's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That He's showing us that in every moment, every arena of our life, every sphere of influence we have, that the kingdom of God has something to say about it. That Jesus has authority and purpose for us in every moment. And that we're going to give an account for how we handle it. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I'll start with verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there will be a day where each of us, on our own, will stand and give an account for what we have done with the life and the relationships and the circumstances that we have. Right? The third servant was just misguided was lazy, was short-sighted. But each of us this morning have talent. We have abilities. We have giftings that God has given us. 1 Corinthians 4 will tell us that what do you have that you weren't given? Right, so we don't boast in it. Like God has given. And so He has given um, strength, and He has given insight, and He's given discernment, and He's given hospitality, and He's given... Um, an engineering mind, and he's given mechanical minds, and he's given um, the ability to cook well, and he's given artistic um, insight. And you're thinking, I have some of those. I don't have other ones. Clearly, I don't have some of those. But all of us have talents and abilities. We've all been placed with relationships around us. We have health to varying degrees, right? We have resources to varying degrees. We have circumstances to varying degrees. We have time. We have energy. Like All of these things have been given to you by the King. And He has put them in your hands to steward them. Right? So we think of those as the mina placed in these stewards' hands of what will we have when the King comes back and says, alright, show me what you've done with your life. What do we have to offer back? That, that, that's the, the parallel for us here. With what are we doing with what the Lord has given us and placed in our hands. A couple thoughts here. We have to trust the character of God in this. 
there's a lot of room for envy in this moment. When we begin to look around and go, wait a second, I want what he got. Can I have a little bit of what she has? Right, like we start to think, hey God, are you sure? I can look at what you gave me. I'm not, I'm not digging it. Right, there's a, there's a, a temptation for envy. But what do we not? What do we have that we weren't given? So that we can't boast. Right, and so when we begin to look at our lives and say, I don't know that I like what I've been given, we are actually making an accusation against the king. That his character isn't good, that we can't trust him, that he's not faithful, that he doesn't see us or care for us. The second aspect of this, you have not been asked to be faithful to what someone else has been given. You've been asked to be faithful with what you've been given. And so if you look and say, well, they're just so much more talented or have so much more energy or have so much more time, right? And you're going, I don't have those things. You haven't been asked to be faithful with someone else's. You've been asked to be faithful with what the king has given you. And comparison is going to steal joy. It's going to rob us, and it's going to most likely kind of truncate what we're able to do, that we're just going to become so focused on ourselves and what we don't have and what someone else has that we're not faithful to what the king has given us. And it's not all going to look the same. And what we long and desire to hear from the king is this, well done. Well done. Well done as a dad. You steward your time as a dad well. You pointed your children to me. Well done. Well done as an employee. Yeah, I know you had a really bad boss. But you were faithful. You were a man of, or a woman of integrity. And you were fair and you were honest and you were just and you lived differently even in the midst of a bad boss. Well done. You trusted and depended upon me when it w- looked like you should have right, been hopeful. Well done with the little bit of money that you had. It didn't own you. It didn't, it didn't control you. You gave and you were generous and you trusted my provision. Well done with the lots and lots of resources and money that you had. You didn't make them your God. You gave freely and you gave generously and you blessed many and it didn't own you and it didn't control you. Well done. Well done with your sickness. That robbed your energy, that had you around doctors and nurses all the time. As you longed for better health, you trusted me. That these circumstances were not forever. That the time was short that you would have this situation and that there was a joy awaiting you. Well done with your health. Well done with your energy. Well done in your singleness. Well done in, right, like, that we, as we think through every relationship and every situation and every perspective in the seasons of our life, as they ebb and as they flow, as you're in robust relationships or as you feel more lonely, as your health is good or as your health is bad, as you have more than you need or less than you need, what we find is that we can do all things through Christ because He strengthens us. That's what Paul's actually talking about. Is that Jesus is sufficient for every relationship, for every circumstance, for every situation, good or bad, because He's faithful enough. And are we trusting Him, depending upon Him, and then imaging that out to the world 
that Jesus is our hope, not this world, not this marriage, not these children, not this job, not this promotion, not our health, not our ease, not our comfort, that He is sufficient. So then the call is this, is in every arena, in every relationship of life, are our eyes on Him. And so then as individuals, and as a church, and as families, are we having conversations, making decisions of how we're going to spend our time as a family or as a church? How are we going to spend our money and our resources? How are we going to spend our energy and our relationships? Because we want to steward these things for the King who's coming back, and we want to be found faithful. We want to be found faithful so that we understand now our eyes are not on this world, they're on King Jesus who has put us in this day and age, in 2023, in the panhandle of Texas. And all the weirdness and all the, the craziness of the world around us, He has said, no, 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 you people, in this place, in this time, for King Jesus. To bring my kingdom, right, to image, as you trust me and as you depend upon me, in the midst of weird and difficult circumstances. Do it together. Make decisions. Steward it well so that you would be found right with a multiplied minus, multiplied being able to honor and worship Jesus with your faithfulness. And so it means that we may make some decisions that the world looks at as crazy. It may mean that you take, you turn down a promotion because it would take too much time and too much energy away from, your, from what you believe is your actual mission. It may mean that you make things harder, right? And that you move people into your home for a season, right? Or that you give things away, or that you do these things that the world would go, why would you do that? It's robbing you of joy in this life, and you're saying, no, 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 Jesus is my joy. He is my hope. He is my life. And He sees, and He is going to reward faithfulness. Church, it means that we all have spiritual gifts, and we need them to minister to one another. And not any one of us has all of them. While we're a body, and we're not all hands or eyes or fingers or legs, we need to be a healthy body with all the gifts, encouraging and edifying and building one another up, not lording over one another. Listen to what Peter writes. This is in 1 Peter 4, verses 9 and 10. I'll start in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Right? We're not comparing. We're not angry. We're not envious. We're trusting that God has given them and me what we were meant to have. So whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That we are serving one another, and in that we are showing faithfulness to King Jesus. So there's two quick warnings. We'll be done. The first is this. There's a temptation to go, I'm doing this alright, I'm okay. I'm good. I don't, want to, I don't need to be self-reflective. I don't want the Holy Spirit to shine light here. 
and that you might actually believe that you're good. But there's pride and self-righteousness in that. There's the temptation to be the third servant who just says, I've, here's what I've got, here's what God's given me, I'm going to hold on to it. And what we're revealing is we don't trust Him. We don't know Him. And we're not being faithful to what He's called us. And the second temptation, second warning is this, is I can't do this. And you feel, you're like, I've already blown it. I've already blown my gifts or my relationships or my job. Like, I've already blown this up. And what is God going to do with it now? And you feel shame and you hear the enemy accuse you. And here's the hope for us this morning. Jesus has done what we were meant to do. He has been faithful in all of His relationships. He's been faithful in all of His gifts. He's been faithful the Father. And He's done it because we couldn't. And we wouldn't. And we didn't. And then He meets us in that. And says, let me equip you. Let me fill you with my Spirit. Let me connect you to my body. Let's walk with one another. And I'm going to equip and empower you to walk in this because you couldn't do it. It is the good news that Jesus takes His enemies and He makes them His family sons and daughters of the King. And that we walk in a manner worthy of Him to image our good King. Jesus has come. And in this interim period, He has given us what we need for life and godliness. The work, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. He has left us His Holy Spirit. He has left us His Word. And He has left us one another. So we walk in that striving to trust, to depend, to image, and to be faithful until He returns for us. And church, He will return. And in His return, He will judge the enemies and the wicked, and He will reward the faithful. who are faithful because He kept us. I want to read one final verse. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right? Paul writes and says, listen, there is wrath to come, but in Christ it's not our story. He's coming to reward the faithful who trusted and depended upon Him, who saw Him as the right and good king and knew him. Those who don't, there is judgment. And verse 27 is harsh and painful. But that doesn't have to be our story because Jesus is enough. He is sufficient and he does rescue. Let today be the day of salvation if you don't know that. That you would hear the Father calling you. And if you know him and are walking with him, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do work in your life, to say, in what arenas am I glorifying and honoring you? In what arenas, relationships, and situations am I not? And trust that He would do that work for our good and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we want to be found faithful. So Lord, would You lift our chins this morning to look at the relationships, the circumstances, the jobs, 
the situations, the health, the resources, the time, the energy, the ta- all these things that you have given. Lord would, we, Lord, would we be willing to lament where we wish we had something different? And then in the midst of our pain and our lament, would we say, God, but we trust you. Help us to see why this, why me, why now. Lord, will we be found faithful when, with a little or a lot? That we wouldn't compare, we wouldn't be envious, but we would trust your good name, your good character, who has given us what you have seen fit to give us, that we would be faithful with it. Would we see it as a gift? Would we see it as kindness? Lord, and would others benefit because of it? Lord, we trust you, we need you, and we ask you to move. In your name we pray. Amen.